SDGI Directors and Dialogue presents Perry Ogden talking about his film Pavi Lakin at Electric Picnic in association with Amnesty International. I wanted to go on and explore that territory a little bit more and make a film about one of these kids. And this coincided with the kind of uh, economic boom and I thought, yeah, it would be great to see what's happened to these kids and how they're faring in the wake of this Celtic tiger. And so I set about going to revisit some of the pony kids and I ended up in the children's court where I found um, Winnie's family. And um, basically I was in, I got permission to be in the court to do research and I'd listened to all these stories. And one day um, uh, Paddy, who plays Leroy, uh, was in the court with one of the sisters uh, who she'd never been in court before he had obviously been in court quite a lot and um, it, it, he was sort of an amazing character and he jumped up from behind his pew and pulled down, pulled up his tracksuit top and half pulled down his tracksuit bottom to show the judge where the guards, the police had uh, been bruising him and punching him this was his story and uh, he put on a great performance he was held back for the night and uh, I obviously knew where he lived the next time I was in the court two days later I asked the guards if uh, he'd been let out they said yes so I went down to visit him and that was really the beginning of working uh, of finding Winnie um, later I didn't really know Winnie in the beginning At the be- in the beginning I gave Paddy a copy of Pony Kid said we're looking to make a film sort of in this area we're looking for people to work with uh, we have a bit of a story and we're researching can we hang out with you and uh, he said yes so we spent quite a lot of time with Paddy and then one day I went down to the site where they lived and nobody was around except Winnie and Winnie said to me and, and I, hadn't, I didn't really know how I'd seen her sort of in the background she came up to me all tough and said you want to know all about my brothers and everything don't you and I said yeah sure she said come with me and took me into this caravan and I had a little video camera and she said what do you want to know and started telling me stories and I could see her imagination working overtime to make up these big stories and she was amazing and she reminded me of an actress called Linda Manns who's in a Terence Malick film called Days of Heaven if anyone's seen that film, a wonderful film if you haven't seen it, try and see it Uh, she reminded me so much of this kid and um, real tomboyish as well and I filmed her and thought wow, I think I found the person who who this film should be about um, and men, uh, sometime later when we're actually making the film Winnie said to me you know because at the, on that day I said to her how old are you she said 16 and she was very obviously like 9 or 10 or what you know around about there and um, but she said to me when I said, oh I thought you had to be 16 to be in the film and but you know she's an amazing amazing kid I mean, absolutely. You're kind of the magnetism that she has. I mean, she she holds so many, so much of the film. You're just kind of following her when she's cycling around the shops, or when she's chatting to people, or you're watching her even observe other people. She's you sort of still you just feel your eyes drawn to her. Um, I, I was I'm really interested in in the type of film it is um, and how you made it because it's sort of obviously there's the documentary quality to it. it I mean, it is the Morn family, isn't it? Most of them use their real names um, in the film, and yet it's obviously um, a piece of um, uh, fiction as well and I wondered sort of how it was you went about and why you kind of chose that because I found it because of that 
um, the, the the juxtaposition between the two, and they're not quite sure how much of it was real. It kind of as a, as a viewer, you feel a bit uncomfortable because you feel you're a witness and a, a, almost a voyeur into what is some really uncomfortable truths about the travellers' um, lifestyle in Dublin. Um, yeah, I like to feel it blurs the line between documentary and fiction. That was very purposeful. Um, and I like the idea that you're watching it and think, oh, this seems like a documentary. Then after a while, you realize that it can't be a documentary because of you know the, the way the camera's set up and the angles and everything. So um, I, my main thing is that I want it to be authentic. I want it to really feel like this was true life happening in front of you. And everything is pretty much filmed in medium medium shots uh, there's a slight technical reason for that because we were shooting on digital and the wider you go uh, it can't really take the information um, but also I just wanted that um, intimacy with the characters and yes we use Winnie her mother and two of the sisters one of the brothers and I sort of took the core of the rail family and then built a, a, a sort of world around them using some actors and actresses, Michael Collins, the traveller actor who plays the um, uncle, and um, various other people, some other real travellers. I wanted real people as much as possible. Um, and it seemed to work where you could mix the actors and the real people. And um, you said, I mean, you started off by immersing yourself in the family and visiting them. I mean, how much was the narrative based on what you, reality, if it were? Um, everything is drawn from our research many aspects from uh, the Mon family but also from other families and other stories we heard um, everything is set up every scene was set up there's only one thing in the film that happens uh, that we kept filming uh, that wasn't actually written to happen uh, which is the scene when they're walking off down the road Winnie and the two boys and a fight breaks out and we just let the cameras roll and um, then had to stop and stop the fight. But that was, that was the only thing that wasn't actually written into it. Uh, although, you know, an, a lot of the scenes uh, are improvised in the way that um, we would ha we'd have a general idea of what needs to happen, um, and then we'd also let things happen. Um, and then scenes like early on in the film when Leroy and Winnie come back from selling um, or pawning the mother's ring, you know, you'd sit down with them and say, well, what would you say in this situation? What would you say? And you almost, like, script it there and then. Of course, nobody's going to remember the exact lines. Um, uh, but you just, you know, I wanted to use their words as much as possible. Actually, that leads me on very nicely because I, I was thinking, Wink, because you're working with a real family who are going through um, a very difficult time, um, this is their real life as well as it being sort of, you know, the, the Hollywood comes to ring's end for a few for a few weeks. Um, what type of responsibilities did that bring with it in terms of sort of because that were, you were blurring that fiction and, and reality line with a, with a real family? Um, I think when you're working with children, there's a lot of responsibility. And there was... You know, we were very conscious um, that they were young kids, a lot of these people, and everything was run by the mother. Um, and there was one, when we had a rough edit uh, of the film, there was one scene that, you know, Winnie was concerned about, and that was the one when they are sniffing petrol. It's not actually petrol, it's apple juice. But um, 
uh, she was concerned about that and we sat down and we looked at it a lot with the mother for me it was pretty important to try and keep that scene uh, if Winnie would ultimately be up for it um, because it just it, you know it needed that kind of edge it didn't I didn't want it to be cleansed of of these kind of things it's a reality I've seen kids do that I've seen traveler kids do that with petrol and other things so for me in the end I guess I managed to persuade them to go with it uh, and there were probably one or two other things uh, in the film or, or there were probably times when we were shooting when said oh don't use that please don't use that um, and we never used anything so I think the I think the two girls Winnie and Rosie were, were, were happy and I think they um, had an incredible experience making the film and then a whole other experience going around with the film to various festivals in London or Thessaloniki in Greece and the different places they went to um, so yeah I mean it, it's difficult working with children um, but you know at the end of the day you have a huge responsibility towards them um, the interesting thing was it was shot over a period of eight months whenever we had money we'd, we would um, go and film for a week or longer ten days um, and then there'd be a break trying to get some more money and then towards the end uh, quite early on in the filming Paddy in real life uh, goes to prison and he's in Wheatfield on remand for months and months and the case doesn't come up and the case doesn't come up and finally it comes up and I go to court and um, sort of make a plea with the judge uh, that Paddy's in the middle of making this film and it would be great if he can be let out and the judge was pretty annoyed that the case had taken so long to come to court and he turned to Paddy and said look I'd rather see you in the movies than in here so you're free to go and he was let out and we quickly had to sort of get everything together to do three days shoot to sort of round off his story and this wasn't the initial story that he was going to be in prison but because of everything that had happened and we'd finished every other part of the film the easiest thing to do was to say that he had been to prison hence his absence from the film from having been there in the beginning so we took him back into another prison and filmed him for an afternoon doing a scene with Winnie visiting and um he wouldn't uh, we wanted him to dye his hair back to how it had been or something or have it cut in such a way and he, he wouldn't have that done but he did everything else and I remember uh, I remember it was actually done in Mountjoy and I remember walking up there the day we were going to film and there was a prison guard standing sort of outside just a little bit down the road and as I was walking up with Winnie Winnie turned to me and said is that a screw and I said yeah and um, just as fantastic you know, so I, what was going on in her head and imagining what that guy was like the screw that she'd heard so much about the screws yeah. Um, but yeah um, actually I was interested to say you were sort of you'd scrape together some money and shoot a bit and then you'd have a gap um, obviously the theme of prejudice and discrimination against travellers is, is huge in, in the film and you, you, know, you depict that really well um, did you face prejudice um, for example or, or discrimination when you were trying to get for example funding for it or was it difficult would you think it was more difficult because of the subject matter um, you know what we sort of what we I went out and raised money made some money had a bit of money um, initially I thought it was going to cost uh, 60,000 euros to make the film but that ran out pretty quickly and um I don't think I don't think 
I think it's just it's quite hard raising money for a first film and um, it wasn't something that was uh, particularly commercial so th- but the good thing about it was that I had complete control of the film and nobody was going to tell me that didn't look right or uh, needed to make a change in the script and working with my co-writer Mark Venner um, you know we, we put this script together and then we you know in between shooting we'd keep writing new scenes and look at it being edited and then oh we need another scene here so it was excellent to make a film in that way over a period of a long period of time because it because it could really live and talk back to you um so we didn't really face too much discrimination we had a great crew who were really happy working with the travelers and um you know they were great people and it was interesting since the film was made i got I still see them and speak to them uh, but immediately after making the film we were quite involved in, in helping them get a house and so it was interesting witnessing how the council really do speak to them you know in, in real life and in some ways it's worse than in the film it can be worse than in the film yeah um, and yeah they're hugely discriminated against and it's a very it's a very fine line that line between traveler life and settle life and you'd see Winnie go off and um, you know cross that line in the daytime go off and be in the city and be with settled people even with settled kids but you know come nightfall she was back behind the line on her side and it was interesting to see how people reacted to her I remember the, the film was nominated for IFTAs and Winnie was even nominated for Best Actress so we went to the IFTAs and it won the best film and so I took Winnie up on the stage with us uh, with Martina, my co-producer and Mark and Winnie was there looking beautiful and big red dress and um, happy as can be and I know that on the Monday and it was live on TV and I know that on the Monday when she went back into school because she was in school at that time in a, in a settled school um, the teacher made no effort to acknowledge what had happened over the weekend and I, you know, th- those those kind of things don't help bridge the gap. Actually, I mean, one of the questions I wanted to ask was it, where they are now, because um, of the, I mean, one of the things you know, you can see the talent that uh, Winnie has. Obviously, not only as a performer, but she sings and dances. And um, there was such an energy in the family, and this hope, and that, 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 that things would change. Um, certainly, it's, it sounds like they got a house and, and they move were able to move on and access education and further are you still in touch with the family uh yeah none of them are living in a caravan on the side of the road anymore um rosie the mother lives up on the north side but i'm in capel street she lives not far behind me and um winnie winnie is married she has a child and rosie her sister um is also married has three children i think I did both their wedding videos. Uh, you're welcome to see them. We should have another screening of the wedding videos. Um, the, and the, the only problem for Rosie, the mother, is that two of the kids are, are serious addicts and um, still come back to her uh, when there's nowhere else to go. And it makes her life quite difficult because they're disruptive. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm very much in touch with them. And although Winnie's sometimes quite hard to get hold of, I have about 20 numbers for her. 
and I was trying to call some of them yesterday, but none of them are, none of them are getting to Winnie. I mean, you wonder if she obviously had all this acclaim, whether she ever maybe wanted to then become an actress, and whether the lack of support may have stopped that within the, within the community. Yeah, it's difficult. There were definitely opportunities for Winnie, but it's a ver- it's very hard to break out of that culture, and um, it is such a t- it's a it is a tight culture, although it varies across the board. Um, but I could just see it was going to be difficult for them to break out. They'd almost have to remove themselves from Ireland, go and live in America or in England, and um, you know work 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 in a in a way that's away from that culture. Um, you know, she was recognised a lot. I, you know, I remember going to Venice Festival where it screened one of the first screenings, and uh, we arrived in the Lido, and we were walking up towards the. Um, kind of metal detector x-ray metal detector machines you have to walk through to go to the cinemas and as we were going through you know some girls were coming out saying look there's Winnie there's Winnie and it was sort of a you know a magical moment for her and I know the mother the mother got bored of being recognised in Dublin and and when people would stop and say is that you in that film she said no it's my sister um I was just thinking, you know, about the, the the themes that you bring out. I mean, we're campaigning here, Amnesty, um, about the right to housing, and obviously that's a central theme in the film. You know, about what type of housing, where they can live, when the way they get moved. Um, also, how when you have uh, denied your access to housing, how that can affect your access to other human rights, like education. There was the struggle with Winnie trying to get into, she wanted to get into a settled school. Um, what do you think filmmakers can bring to sort of uh, human rights debates? Um, I'm not sure that filmmakers can can change things very much except for people's perception. And I think that by showing and exploring, um, you know, part of the reason for me making this film was to, was to explore what the life of a 10-year-old traveler girl was like growing up in Dublin in the wake of the Celtic uh, tiger boom. And um, so a lot of it was, you know, me finding out things as I was doing the research and it speaking back to me and me being, being able to feed into the film the certain issues um, like schooling, like housing that really affect them and yeah, it's, it's, very, it's a very very difficult um, situation but what happens is that the taxpayer in some situations there are families where the taxpayer is actually paying uh, you know, a million quid a year to keep a family going because they're in prison or in reform schools um, like Trinity House in Lusk uh, which costs costs about two hundred thousand uh, a year to keep a, ch- a kid there, a teenager there, and then so if you've got two kids there or and and three kids in the joy, you know it's all adding up to about a million, and um, that's the taxpayer footing that bill, and there must be better ways to spend that money. You know, I would rather have seen a a kind of bus go out every day to where they live. Um, as these kids are growing up uh, with teachers and just being available for them and uh, it would be a lot lot better use of the money Yeah, certainly it would feel more efficient and more moving forward um, I just wanted to maybe open it out to the floor and see if anyone uh, wanted to ask uh, any questions to Perry This is where everyone gets very shy <laughs> Having watched the film 
I suppose I, I mean I'd like to end maybe by then asking you about maybe a, your, your next project and whether you'd sort of approach something that was this uh, um, exploratory and difficult and kind of but ultimately rewarding again yeah, actually did a lot, I did quite a lot of work on doing a follow-up to Pavi. And in the end, I just kind of felt that I had said what I needed to say and that I didn't want to sort of use the world of the travelers as a way to make more films. And um, so I decided not to make another film at that time about uh, or around those characters you know, there was a there was a sense that um, I was going to make a film that started with the wedding of of Winnie's old. You know, a few years later, as it were, started with the wedding of Winnie's sister Rosie that she'd been so tight with, and that she moves away with the husband, and so Winnie is now on her own, and more and and follow that life, sort of create a little world around that. But I decided not to do that, and um, I've been working on another on a script that's set in the War of Independence actually, very different in many ways but it's also about an outsider family a family that were part of a dissenting Protestant sect in uh, during that time uh, in Ireland and um, based on a real life story again, actually situated not far from here and so there, there are many similarities a family of outsiders if you like Well, uh, I'd like to say thank you very much because I think uh, we need filmmakers like yourself to shine light and, and, and to bring a different audience um, to, to these issues and perhaps in a different avenue and, and highlight really important issues. So best of luck and thanks ever so much again for coming along. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SDGI Directors and Dialogue. We would like to thank our sponsors, the Irish Film Board and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, visit us at www.sdgi.ie.